2: Buddy, I hope you had a great week. We're back. Hey, Holly, how are you? I am well. How are you doing? I, I'm all right. Thank you. I think every day feels like Groundhog Day. <laughs> and I don't think I've come out of my house for maybe three, four days. But still, at least, at least, you know, we've got the academy and we're, it's an online course and everybody's taking online courses right now. So, um, but it is a, it is a strange time. I think the longer that we continue with this and negotiate, because we're it's, it's
1: getting tougher, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. I have a question about your online course. So is it like in semesters where once you have to sign up and then it starts, or can you go at your own pace and start at any time? How does it work? You can start at any time.
2: Oh, good. Um, but you do have, there is depending on if, uh, and we're talking about the dog trainer course, Yeah. if it's the dog trainer course, there is a, um, a a time that you need to complete it by. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, there are, if you take the online only option, then you are, um, you have a certain amount of time. If you take the online and in-person track, there's a certain amount of time there. But we also have two courses, the fundamentals course and the starter course that are for dog lovers. And you can just, you know, you can stop and start, and do that at your leisure. So uh, there are various different courses you take that have different kind of requirements.
1: Yeah. That's good to know. I've always wondered, cause I thought, wow, do I, did I miss it? Cause I'm thinking to myself, I got some time on my hands. Maybe I should take some classes and keep that little brain going and clear the brain and prevent Alzheimer's.
2: Yeah, you know like what? Them. I, I and I'm just reading um, uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta's book mm-hmm. called, is it Keep Sharp? Um,
1: yeah, about his mind, how to keep your mind healthy. Yes,
2: how to keep your mind <laughs> healthy. I think it's got some really, really, I would definitely recommend that book. But also when you're talking about courses, I've just started a course learning about the history of England, Wales, and Scotland, wow, online uh, yes, it's an online course and um and, and I really like it. it's a little bit it's um I, I've just started it it's a tiny bit dated, but the information is really interesting and and of course, I love history. I'm a big right. history buff, so it's 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 again something that's not dogs, <laughs> nothing to do with dogs because you kind of need to get out of your lane uh, for a little bit. How can history get dated? No, no, the the actual, I think the, the presentation and the video of it is a little oh, dated. So
1: like people are wearing clothes circa
2: 1984. Well, maybe uh, a little, okay. but, but the <laughs> in, yeah, the information is still really, really good. And so, yes, I mean, good. I think I think that's a good thing. Take courses and learn more, use this time to do that.
1: That's very cool. And that's why also we come to this podcast because people want to know more and more about dogs and how they think and how they act and how they do. And that's why our guest today is
2: none other than the incredible Adam Miklósy, and he is from the Family Dog Project. Uh, it's uh, from I'm not I'm going to pronounce this wrong. If I, I'm just going to say E L University in Budapest, Hungary, <laughs> because okay. I can't I, pronounce it that's in good. Hungarian.
3: That's good. Yeah, <clears throat> it's actually Eötvös Ut- Ut- University.
1: Eötvös
2: yes. University.
1: Okay. And then they do, and they say Budapest. Yes. Yeah. So the S yeah, we've is an have learned essay. so much already.
2: <laughs> We're going to have everyone speaking Hungarian by the time they finish this podcast. Adam, <laughs> welcome. We are so glad that you can join us
3: today. Thank you very much for inviting me. I really am looking forward to this uh, discussion and and talking. Yeah, it's great fun. And uh, yes, well, thank you very much for being here.
1: What is What is the Family Dog Project? Tell us about it.
3: Well, the family dog project, is it's actually a virtual project. So when we started dog research in 1994, so the last century, the <laughs> previous century, basically, uh, then we decided to give it a name. And and so the people who actually started it, my former professor, Bill Chainy, and my colleague, Josep Topal, we three of us founded this project. But now we have about, I don't know, 40 people who are there and working uh, together on that project. And I think also the idea was, which was at that time in some way revolutionary, that we are studying uh, and devoting our etological knowledge to understand the behavior of the family dog. Because that was, obviously when you have a dog and you read, you have so many books on dogs, it's sort of a trivia that yes, we know something about dogs, but from a scientific per- uh, perspective, there was very little actually known about dogs.
2: So um, we had the, well, I had the honor of working with you, was it all the way back in 2014? Was that six Could years or something two, like that? Yes, 2014, 2015. And we worked at, um, I'd known of Adam's work before, obviously, um, but I had, he was always this sort of this figure, as in this. this man is truly a groundbreaker when it comes to. Uh, helping us understand the behavioral cognitive world of the domestic dog. But then I got to work with him for about 10 weeks. It was like having my own walking encyclopedia right next to me um, on this amazing show called Dogs Might Fly that we filmed in England. And it was, we took 12 rescue dogs from around the country and we took them to a beautiful house down in the south of England. And for the next 10 weeks, We, uh, with Adam devising all these incredible challenges for these dogs, we found out about their behavior and their cognitive processes and how they learned. And we took three or four of them, um, made it to flight school. So flight school was another six weeks. And eventually those dogs flew a plane. That's remarkable. (laughs) It is remarkable. It was an incredible program. And of course, when this the, the, the producer Caroline Hawkins from Oxford Scientific Films told me about this project, she's the producer, the creator of Meerkat Manor for all of you Animal Planet fans out there, if you love Meerkat Manor, this is, uh, it was developed and created by Caroline Hawkins. And so she was the one along with Claire Burks who, who created this idea because there is in New Zealand, uh, a a trainer called Mark Vetti, and he had taught to show how incredible rescue dogs are. He had taught some of the dogs in shelters to drive a car. So they thought, well, why don't we take this to the next level? And why don't we teach these dogs to fly a plane? And actually subsequently the dog that did end up flying the plane was a Staffordshire Bull Terrier called Shadow, who Mm. was in and out of rescue shelters. was a, a hound Houdini and was escaping all the time and was on the list for potential euthanasia because no home would take him. He was the dog that ended up flying the plane. And when I mean flying the plane, I mean flying the plane. Um, it was a plane and, and it's not, he's not doing a figure of eight up and down, but he had to do, he had to bank and do, be be on those controls and do a figure of eight with the pilot next to him. And so he flew the plane himself for about 10 minutes. Extraordinary,
1: extraordinary. Anyway, I was on this show with Adam. And how, how does that, I mean, you know, you talk about in and out of sh- shelters and homes and he was a family dog and then a shelter dog. How, how, how do you train a dog like that? And even like, I, I mean, let's just be honest. Like I can't get my dog to go out and poop when it's time.
2: Well, Adam, do you want to take it away?
3: Well, I mean, you know, I'm not a dog trainer. I always say if people come to me, you know, I want to train my dog or I have a problem with my dog. I always say, OK, we should find a good dog trainer. So scientists are thinking more generally about this. And also my role actually in that uh, film was mainly giving some sort of a scientific background of what's going on. And if you remember, Victoria, with what we also did was very specific tests for those dogs. Uh, how they show they, um, that they can recognize the emotion of the owners or how they find food in a complicated situations. And you remember maybe also that we had this fantastic task where the dog had to show some insight to actually find out that in order to get to the, front, the food from the that was down hanging from the ceiling, he had to push an object uh, under the food in order and jump on it and then get it from the top. So this side of tests were done partly for showing the, the viewers that those rescue dogs are, are not different from all other dogs, and sometimes they might actually be very good, and it would probably give the owner some insight of the, the cognitive capacities of dogs in general, because I think that's also in some sense, sometimes underestimated, in others, some ways, sometimes they're overestimated, and there's the role for research to actually give you a realistic picture.
2: And I think it really showed that, um, you, you, yes, this was a show. Yes, it, it had an incredible premise. Oh my gosh, well, you, know, you had a dog to, to fly a plane. But really, what it was was showing the dogs or exploring the dogs' cognitive abilities.
3: Yes, yes, and I think we had a very nice feedback from the dogs also, and, and obviously there's a variation, which I think is also important for, to understand for others, like just like Holly was mentioning, that maybe your dog is not performing very well in certain situations, but you should find the talent. So each dog has some sort of talent, just like people have a talent, but you have to figure out in what direction their talent actually is the strongest.
1: Do do dogs process, do they, I mean, do they think like we do, or do they have a different way? You know, obviously we would, you're talking about the food on the ceiling. So we would look at that and say, okay, I need to get up. I need to reach it. What is around here that I can stand on to reach it? Do they do that as well? Do they have the same cognitive process?
3: Well, you are just asked the big question that that keeps me going <laughs> for the last 25 years. So, the honest answer is we don't know, obviously uh, uh, the longer would be that in some sense, yes, they are thinking very similarly, but in many tasks and in many problems, they probably have a different ways of approaching the the solutions so uh, let's and it also depends on the how they perceive the word and probably the Everybody knows that dogs, for example, their color vision is different from ours. So this also means that how they see colors differs. So maybe also the solution of some problems that involves uh, color vision might also differ because they have to rely on some other senses, for example, like olfaction or, or hearing or so on. So there are a lot of differences. We're looking both for the differences where dogs are really special. Uh, and also the common aspects of human dogs' um, cognitive abilities, because obviously when we are sharing our social life, we're living together in a family, there must be also some commonalities in our ways of thinking and solving problems
2: um, and you have been you, you know you at the university and with the project, you do a lot of research. Now, when people think of research on animals, they think of people in white coats and laboratories. This is not that kind of research. You work a lot with family owned dogs that people bring in and um, to do certain challenges and to do uh, certain uh, um, yeah, studies with. And And that's what I love about your work. Um, we had before, we had spoken to Clive Wynn because like Clive, you are going to be a speaker at the 2021 Dog Behavior Conference in April. So register everybody, 16th to the 18th of April. Register at positively.com slash DBC. Adam's going to be talking about social learning and uh, that's going to be absolutely fascinating. But these um, these these studies that you have done are really enabling people like trainers like myself to unlock that canine mind so that we can maybe find the genius in our own dogs. That yeah. talent.
3: Yeah, I think so. I agree. I think we're Uh, there are different people who are working in in dog science, where we might be special, or at least uh, what is our strategy, is really looking uh, at the world from the dog perspective. And that's what you also mentioned, uh, for example, social learning, or for example, attachment. That was also one of the, the first studies that we actually did, or for example, the barking. So there are so many very special aspects of dog behavior that hasn't been studied at what actually hadn't been studied at that time when we started our research. So you would imagine that a very typical dog trait is barking, Every each dog is barking more or less. And up to the year 2005, there was no single study looking at the barking behavior of dogs, whether humans can actually recognize some special barks, whether other dogs can recognize what other dogs are barking about. So it's really a, a totally new word that we're trying to uh, you know, investigate or explore, and then give this information to dog owners, dog trainers to have a better uh, understanding of their dog. You
1: know, question for you, In in um between dogs. So when you have a, a family say, and it's a only dog or you have a family with more than one dog, do they have different communications with us as they do with each other? Cause I kind of think of it like, one of my best friends has twins, and she used to say growing up, they had a special language. They have this gobbledygook language, and they wouldn't babble to each other, but they knew exactly what they were saying. Like one would say something to the other, and the other one would throw them something, and he would grab it. And, he, and, and they, so he knew what he meant, even though it was nonsense. So do dogs kind of do the same thing where they have their own communication, and then they have a different communication with us as people?
3: Yes, I mean, yes, that's, that's what actually goes on. So dogs uh, within their community, their species, they have different com- ways of communicating. Obviously, they also have different means how they express it. So they might grow, they might use their tail, they also signal with their ears so and with their body and obviously with their order. So this communication is, is to a large extent different from how they communicate with us. especially because humans are also quite different, I mean, individually. It's a, it's a task for each dog to figure out what is the best way to communicate with that particular owner that actually I have. <laughs> so this is a different word. So that, but they are, that is easy. Like having, you know, many languages. So you have the your first mother language and then you have another two, three. So it's basically the same. Not impossible. It's more a problem of the humans because they don't really, uh, they try to maintain their way of communication uh, also with the dogs. And that's where you know, trainers like Victoria come in and translate. They have to explain to the owners, you know, what this means in in language, in the terms of dog's language. So people have to learn that language also. And I think this is what what is really um, the role of the trainers to mediate this situation.
2: I think when you you say you're really, you're the, the pioneers of this. And I know there are other research places around the world that that now, I mean, studying dogs has become so popular, but you really are the pioneers. You were the first to reach into the canine mind.
3: Well, I mean, we started very early, by the way, if you look at the, because in science, what is good is you have dates when you are publishing results. So you can really check who was the first, so to speak, but it doesn't really matter. But at that time, really in the beginning, early nineties, there were only the other research group um, in Leipzig, Germany, where, by the way, Brian Herb was the one of the, I think, postdoc at that time. So sort of we worked in parallel on the same topic and issues. So, but yes, I think again, the family dog project is is a little bit more interested in in dog behavior, not just in that aspect of dog cognition, what might be important from the human point of view.
1: In all the research. Reason- in all the research that you've done, what has been most surprising to you to learn?
3: Oh well, I mean one of them I mean they're full of surprises. So <laughs> so so really actually it's it's you know, sometimes I think that you know, what else can surprise me or what's more and then next day something happens and it's really crazy. So actually one is the the social learning, which we also Victoria mentioned it already, because again. Dogs are social species. I mean, the wolves, the ancestor of the dogs is also social species. We are also social species. So everybody's social in that that way. And then you can imagine that nobody had this uh, idea of studying social learning in dogs, again, up to the last few years. So, and then we started it, even then we were very cautious because, you know, if you do something as a first, you don't know what to expect. And then actually it turned out that this is a very fruitful field because, yes, obviously dogs are learning by observation, which basically is the foundation of social learning. And this is a natural behavior of dogs because they are social. Moreover, we as a social species, humans, we also use this feature of our behavior to teach others. And this is the way how like mothers uh, interact with their children or fathers. Uh, This is the way how teachers learn children in the school. So... And then this is uh, something that was so much neglected and not used in a dog human interaction that we really think, and I'm still, that's why I'm so happy that Victoria invited me for this conference and I could talk about this because you know this is something that is so trivial and nobody's really focusing on that. That social learning would be a medium for teaching dogs various tasks or just having an interaction.
1: Can, can you talk about when social learning So if you have an older dog and you get a puppy, right? So obviously that puppy is going to take cues from that older dog as well as people. But, you know, what if your older dog has issues, you know, I I mean, you know, like resource guarding or, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, reactive behavior or something that, you know, these quirks, will that younger dog pick that up automatically or do they, sort of have the, the the brain capacity to go and eh, maybe that's not so great or I'm going to do this on my own is it always led by example or sometimes not
3: well I mean obviously dogs might not have an ethical control of what is a good behavior and what is a bad behavior so they might pick up anything it depends on also on the puppy obviously on the dog whether it has some preference uh, and, and and many other aspects that are but obviously as it you know, you can imagine it's just like the children. If you have an older brother or the sister, the parents have little influence, actually, what they learn from each other. You know, sometimes they learn the good things. Actually, that's rarer. <laughs> In most cases, they learn, actually, what parents would not, are not so happy about. But I think, you know, that's why you have to, obviously, part of that. So if you are a human and you want to teach the dog something, then you obviously, who should, uh, how should I say it, uh, uh, push more those that you, that you prefer. But obviously social learning is ethical free. So it, the, the mechanism is there for learning anything, what the elders, the more experienced actually are doing.
2: I wanna give you an example um, when we come back, cause we're gonna take a short break, but I wanna give an example of how I use social learning actually for a puppy to teach a mother. So we're going to be back after this short break.
0: A quick break here to get in a word from this episode's sponsor, the Victoria Stowell Academy. Are you looking for a school that can teach you how to be a professional dog trainer? Interested in adding professional dog training services to your pet business? If you've done any research about dog trainer schools, you know that there are a lot of choices these days. Some schools force you to move to where the classes are held for weeks or sometimes even months. Others only teach certain training techniques exclusively, or get bogged down in repetitive drills which work well in the lab but don't always translate to the real world. Some even focus just on games, even for more serious anxiety-based behavior issues, while others employ dangerous and outdated compulsion-based methods that are based on since disproven theories and the use of pain, intimidation, or fear. Renowned dog behavior expert Victoria Stilwell founded the Victoria Stilwell Academy for Dog Training and Behavior as an answer to one of the questions she heard most often following the success of her TV show, It's Me or the Dog. How do I become a professional dog trainer? The Victoria Stillwell Academy is founded on a simple mission, to create new generations of successful positive dog trainers around the world. Its flagship dog trainer course teaches students how to use the latest in behavioral science to help owners and their dogs achieve results through its elite combination of its premium content taught by the best faculty, using the most state-of-the-art technological platforms with the most comprehensive curriculum, and the power of the most recent advances in the science of adult learning. No other dog training school offers what VSA can in terms of the flexibility of its hybrid learning models and its refusal to compromise on the commitment to comprehensive excellence. Every dog trainer course student is paired with a personalized faculty advisor to help guide them through the course via weekly video conference office hours, and every minute of the course content is delivered through engaging instructor-led videos and accompanying learning resources. Its flexible length allows students to learn from home at their own pace, and an optional premium add-on track is available for those who want to supplement their learning with in-person intensives, local mentor shadowing, and live webinar-style cyber classes. And rather than just focusing on one training style, dog trainer for students develop a comprehensive toolbox, while pledging to use only force-free positive dog training tools and methods as professionals. VSA also teaches human psychology for effective client interaction as well as accessible and actionable business marketing and branding so that students' business can reach their fullest potential. Not to mention, VSA students graduate as certified dog trainers with the prestige of the Victoria Stillwell Academy name and the power of Victoria and the Positively brand at their backs as they launch or expand their dog training businesses around the world. So if you're ready to get serious about having fun, turning your passion into your profession, and changing the world one dog at a time, the Victoria Stillwell Academy is the place for you. Enrollment coordinators are standing by to help you apply or answer any questions you may have. So visit vsdogtrainingacademy.com today and find out how the Victoria Stillwell Academy can help you chase your dreams of becoming a certified professional dog trainer. Again, that's vsdogtrainingacademy.com vsdogtrainingacademy.com The Victoria Stillwell Academy, the future of dog training.
2: Okay, so we're talking about social learning. We're talking about the dogs they can pick up uh, what we label as good behavior or what we label as bad behavior. But I want to tell you a, a, about a dog that was very, very nervous. It was a dog that we'd rescued that she'd been dumped outside a pet shop. And we took her in, the Wonder Dogs took her in and then we found an amazing foster home for her. And, we found she was pregnant she was a malamoir so anyway she had her puppies all the puppies just wonderful and we found homes for them but the foster mum who became the adoptive mum she wanted to keep one of the puppies now this uh, malamoir lola was very nervous very frightened of people because she had whether she had been you know, abused or whether she just had not had enough exposure, she'd been on the streets for too long to people. She was extremely nervous with people. And so even with adoptive mum now, she trusted her, but training her in that sort of that sense of the word of training was a little bit too much for her. So I said, well, so I came in as the trainer and I said, well look, let's train puppy and have mother watch. And and it was a wonderful way to do it. I think it was a perfect example of social learning because she truly did watch over the shoulder as we were sitting on the ground teaching puppy, leave it. She watched. She watched when we taught puppy touch to touch our hands. Guess what? Without even teaching her, she wanted to do it too. Now, Adam, that's an example of social learning
3: yeah, that's a very nice example of social learning, and we also use in this method if you want to get dogs involved in certain tasks. Yes, that's for example how you train dogs for laying on the on the bank, and they we are training them for this fMRI measurement when the dog has to be uh, they, they, they it is not allowed to move, and obviously this is not a fun thing. But uh, basically, this is how we do it. We have some young dogs who enjoy it, and then the the newcomers are just watching. And what they see is that laying on a pad is actually so much fun because you get people, you get love, you get pet cats, and so on. So they then basically they automatically also join in and want to take part of this uh, work. So that's actually a very nice way to approach these problems, and I think it's a natural way, by the way. So you don't really need to have arbitrary reward systems for actually achieving that
2: yes and and, and it it takes pressure it, t- it took pressure off this this dog not to have that direct human contact contact that um and so and she, and, and she, she saw puppy was having such a good time as you say adam she she started to have a good time so I think that, you know, for those of you who are going to register for the conference and are going to listen to Adam's talk, this social learning is amazing. And you can use it in many ways to teach your own dog. But I do want to move on to the Genius Dog Challenge. I do hope to have Claudia Fugaza on here at some point. And um, I know she's very busy as well, like you are, Adam. But um, and we're going to talk about more Do As I Do with her. But the Genius Dog Challenge, this is the latest challenge you have done. I was there for one of the challenges, a live challenge. Uh, these dogs truly, I mean, it blew my mind.
1: What, Can what you tell us a little bit? What are yes. some of the challenges? Yeah, I'm curious to know.
3: Okay. Well, I mean, this is again a very old story and uh, that everybody knows, I mean, or believes, probably that's the best way to say it, that dogs understand, let's say, what you're telling them in general. So, Obviously, there are skeptics that they say this is not true, but lots of people believe that. So, and there were some studies that were published, let's say in 2005, at around that years, where we actually found, or scientists found, some dogs who knew, uh, I think up to, let's say, a few hundred um, object labels. So those those few dogs, two, I mean, there were two or three dogs like this, they knew the names of objects like blue dolphin. Uh, red puppy, uh, uh, red circle, whatever you want. So many objects. I mean, I couldn't remember so many names. What <laughs> they actually were doing. So we know that this is possible in dogs. But then, a few years ago, we started to do it more systematically. We wanted to find out whether it's just an accidental thing that you have one dog on a verb that might do it, or whether this is a trait that might uh, that some dogs might have. Or it actually, one of our hypotheses was that, you know, it might be that all dogs can do it, only that dog trainers or dog owners are not skilled enough to teach them. So, and that is the main question. And then, which actually now, so obviously we are in the research. So that means that we have published some papers. We are still going on, we're doing some studies. So what I'm saying now is, again, a hypothesis. So we are not sure, but we have always doubts about it. But at the moment, what I more like is most likely. That this is a special trait that only a very few dogs have, even though those dogs some dogs develop it spontaneously, but obviously you need the owners to interact with them, uh, mainly as a puppy, but actually we have also a dog, a dog that was uh, mm-hmm. teached or taught for that uh, as an adult dog. And what is really exciting is that these dogs somehow have this talent. And this is why we call them genius dogs. I'm not so happy with this, but for this challenge, it must be a good name because all dogs are genius, as we just discussed. But these special genius dogs are very special because they can learn a name of an object. Actually, six object names in one week. Now, I think Claudia, who or no, sorry, uh, Victoria, who who trained dogs, and maybe just having a general dog and trying to train him uh, names of two objects can probably understand what it really means having so rapid learning. And in the challenge, I think, I don't remember how many dogs they were also able, some of them were able to learn twelve toys uh, during uh, one week, which is really amazing. Now, obviously this this was the competition about, but this is not, I mean, this is science, yes, but that's not what is most interesting. What we really want to understand is how these dogs are representing the objects in their brain. And maybe this is where really the science comes in, because from a typical dog, we don't really know. Because you can't, you know, they just, for them, all objects or most objects are just the same. You know, you can fetch them and that's it. Whether it's a ball, a stick, uh, a frisbee, doesn't matter. But for these dogs, these are truly different objects. So they might represent them differently. And obviously, it, this is what is very exciting to see and to find out, okay, what kind of categories they have, for example, whether they can, if I'm just showing an object, you know, like, you know, here's a Frisbee and I'm saying, get this. So I don't say the name, whether the dog can go in a dark room and figure out from many objects there just from touching that what is a Frisbee and what is not a Frisbee. So really the mental image, let's put it this way, is forming, uh, this is what we can really study now in these dogs, not to mention the, the neural level. So we can also look at you know, brain areas that might be involved in that sort of uh, capacity. So it's really exciting and we are just you know, pushing that and be looking and I also want to use this opportunity that if somebody is listening to us and thinks that she or he might have such a dog, please contact the Family Dog Project and then we will take care of you and, and see whether we really have such a special, talented dogs.
1: You're, you're doing a lot of um, cognitive learning. What about emotional learning and connection? Because years ago I had a Border Collie and I know, you know we think Border Collie is very smart. She knew names of things. I mean, she really was but there was a lot of emotional connection, emotional learning when she would do something that she knew she wasn't supposed to, like she was going to steal something or drag something that I, no, leave it there. All I had to do sometimes was just give her a look and she would look away. It was, I didn't have to say anything. She could read my expression or feel that. And to me, that also is, I mean, she she got really good at knowing what I was feeling and thinking without me even having to say a word.
3: Uh, Yes, there are two aspects that you are mentioning here. I think one is the um, emotional communication. So both dogs and and humans basically mutually uh, understand the emotional cues. So we have some studies showing, and not just we, others also, that dogs can uh, discriminate between a happy face and a sad face or an angry face. They also look differently at different human faces. Uh, So they are very good at it uh, in general. on the other hand, the, this is, what you are mentioning is also something which is connected to the breed of the dog and the personality of the dog, where there are differences. So not all dogs actually are like that border collie you just talked about. Others, if you would just, you know, show a, let's say, a little bit angry face, they would say, okay, who cares about this, you know, I'm <laughs> just go on and do what they want. So it's also the person, they might still be able to actually figure out what your emotions really are but they just don't care about that. So there are, and this is a personality issue. Dogs are very, they have a different personality and some personality types maybe are more common in some breeds, but, but generally in all breeds you can find those who are more sensitive to, for example, uh, such a, let's say negative emotions like anger, even sadness. So we also studied that how they react when the owner is, is showing something about sad, expression. For example, there's also many studies, actually, that dogs are reacting to human cry, whether it's baby cry or adult cry. And this could be explained by the similarity of dog whines and human cry. And this is also interesting to study. So these are important connections. And I think this is also important that uh, for the social relationship between dog and the owner. And I think, again, I mean, I don't want to take over the role of the dog trainers, but, but you know, when, the, when you have a puppy, the one of the many things you do is also that you are showing your emotions. You are showing when you are happy and you are showing also when you are angry or sad. And then is the puppy can, because at that time, they were probably even more sensitive. And they also learning even uh, in this situation, you know, what they should do. And I say, this is the way how you can get the popular about your emotional behavior. And then as an other dog, then you have a better chance to communicate with the dog also in, in this, way, this way.
2: Yeah, it is, it is truly remarkable. Um, uh, when we were doing Dogs Might Fly, we had a challenge where we had a, an actress who came in and sat in a chair. She was extremely convincing and she, she started to cry. Um, and we wanted to see what, what uh, each individual dog, how they reacted to that. Um, and was this a dog displaying empathy? Can dogs display empathy? Or was it just showing consolation behavior? Because some of the dogs just looked at her and freaked them out a little bit and they moved away. Other dogs went up to her, curious. Nudging her, trying to see, are you are you okay? Uh, We had one or two dogs that just came up and just plonked their head on her lap. Um, And so, were we seeing empathy, Adam?
3: Well, well, it's you know these are the questions that scientists can debate on forever if they have time and money uh, for doing that. So I think uh, again, like in humans, they are I mean showing empathy. uh, This is different strategy. Uh, whether the dog is actually interested in this 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 issue sometimes you talk about sympathy which would i mean there are some difference between the two so if you have so empathy is something when you are changing your emotional state uh, being the same what is displayed by the other so if the other is happy and you are happy then okay but in some situations actually showing empathy is is, is obviously good but it doesn't help so sometimes what you mentioned about the dogs pushing the okay you are sad but please be happy because this is what I want that actually is sometimes more helpful and again which I mentioned before this might depend also on the personality of the dog so some dogs are like more like a, a sort of an empathetic dog that's okay if you are happy I'm happy if you are sad I'm sad you know I'm sort of doing it we are doing it together and other dogs are more probably those who are more independent okay. They also have problems with the owners. I mean, the owner has a problem that the dog would say, okay, okay, let's get over it. Let's, let's have fun. <laughs> Don't cry so much. So these are, I think, and, and dogs are really uh, different in that way. But that, I think, what that makes them also so interesting for people uh, because they are other individual, which is important in that aspect.
1: In, in yeah. what you were saying, does that... Does it also matter to how connected a dog and a human are? Because I would imagine that if the dog, you know, they, you know, some people have dogs and they're, their pets and I got them for the kids and they're not as connected to them where for instance, my dog is my Velcro dog, right? Like if he's not in the room, I freak out. If I'm not in the room, he freaks out. We need to be together 24 seven. Like I like him better than my husband and my husband knows that. So we are really connected so, does that make a difference too on how a dog reacts and the emotional communication and socialization between people
3: and dogs? I think what you described uh, very nicely is what you call attachment. That is the official scientific explanation for that. So, this is what in, in lay terms, sometimes people talk about bond, but in science, it talks attachment, which is, uh, well, you can imagine it's like an invisible leash between the two the person and the dog so you know it's sort of also elastic so you can go to a distance but then stay you are coming sort of back and there's this continuous checking monitoring as sometimes I call it that you want to know uh, what your dog is doing and your dog wants to know what you are doing and I see this is really uh, an important and again dogs and humans are you know, different in this. So there are some dog people who are very nice and, and they love their dogs, but they're not 24 hours excited about where the dog is. They're actually quite happy when the dog is out in the garden, they don't have to care about it. And dogs are just the same. So, I mean, there are dogs who really have always this eye, you know, back looking where the owner is in. We had many situations. I mean, you can see it if, if you try to go out from the room and your dog is without getting noticed, And you know some dogs are just you know they don't care. Others, when you move the slightest, they are already there and and want to follow you and want to get out. So these are differences, but generally that's important. And and you can also manage that. So I think when you were interacting with more with a as a puppy, you. I mean, you train them or just having fun together. I, actually, I don't really like this word training at all. But no, I to, don't. I don't. Like <laughs> it. So basically, you are together. You are enjoying, but together. I mean, active being together. So running around and having fun. So this actually uh, strengthens this attachment, also. What I am also arguing against that sometimes uh, this attachment is uh, develops into development and sorry, independence. And that's, I think it's not good. So, and also also for a dog, it should learn, you know, being alone. Also for the owner, it's good that it should learn being alone because that you have to. So, it's actually a balance. What is good to have a balance between being together and also being alone. And, uh, but it can be managed by the person, especially if you are sort of consciously doing it at the beginning.
1: So when my husband's right. He's like, get out of the dog bed. Let him sleep by himself. <laughs> I need to get out.
2: <laughs> I think also the fact that Barnsley, he's an old boy now, you know, and, and it is. And now with Kashmir gone, it's almost like you guys have got even closer together. You've yeah. got even closer with Barnsley now.
1: He used to not like me at all. We didn't. I mean, he, he was OK, but we when our other dog died, he and I really attached. And I think a lot of it is me as well. But now, you know, he and the other dog were sort of joined at the hip. They were together, you know, in the rooms together. And when then she passed, then he kind of joined at the hip with me a bit, but he's fine being on his own. But more about me, he's 14 and a half, he has cancer. So I'm just trying to suck up every minute I can with him. So it'll be okay.
2: (laughs) And it's a lovely relationship that you have with him and he gets lots of lovely walks and cuddles and uh, we love our Barnsley. Um, Adam, you have a book out. Before Before we have to end this podcast, you have a book out um could you tell
3: people a, a little bit about that the book you mean the the natural history of the dog yeah okay <laughs> well actually that was a that is a book that uh, is a general book so it's it's not special what we so we saw, we saw it when we uh, planned that with the, together with the publisher was that again to give the little bit of the scientist view but also showing some aspects of dog behavior that is usually not so much represented in typical books on dogs so there is interesting chapters for example on social learning uh, that by the way claudia wrote uh, for the book we also talk about uh, attachment for example which is a center concept also we try also to say to people which you know this is always a discussion that that what i say that just imagine the word from the from a typical animal's point of view, but also from a human point of view, that you have problems. And that is the normal way of life, that you have problems in your life, with your job, with your family, with your whatever. Now this is what what I really find strange when when it comes about dogs, that people always want to solve the dog's life, you know, the poor dog that has to do this. And so the dog's life is actually without any problems. And that's what I find not really healthy. To put it this way. So again, I mean we try to show it also in the book that you know you really have to give a I won't say hard life to the dog, but a life with small problems. Like, you know, making a decision. Here we are at the corner of a street. Do you what do you want to do? Left or right? This is actually for a dog a problem, especially if it's no and and many such things. So I try to really encourage people to, to get to have the dog to have its own life in a way because we don't really um, uh, get notice but we control so much of the dog's life and and I think that's what is is not really good and that's why sometimes I tell people you know try to put yourself in the dog's position would you like to have the same food all the time in front of the refrigerator at eight o'clock, <laughs> and you don't want to go out sometimes for a drink or a food with your friends. So I think this is what I also tried or retried in, uh, to, to to describe in that book. So people, if they want to get some ideas, maybe it is a good read. I don't know.
2: Thank you. And I think what you say is really important. These dogs need a little challenges. They need a little problem solving. They need to make choices. They need to have that ability to make decisions. Um, And that's very enriching. And, you know, even positive trainers, we say, you know, we, we shouldn't have a relationship with our dogs. if It's like a you do and I give relationship. You sit and you get a treat. no. It's got to, it's a lot more than that. Building a relationship, with a successful relationship with your dog is much more than just sort of that kind of training as everybody thinks of training, whether even if you're humanely training them, you know. Um, so that's why I think challenges are really important. Adam, we've come to the end. We're out of time, but I just want to say thank you so much much for coming on this podcast i'm so excited to hear your presentation on social learning guys if you want to hear more of adam please 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 register for the dog behavior conference at positively.com slash dbc register to hear adam and to hear other speakers as well three days of just total dog geekdom <laughs> uh,
3: yes thank you very much i really enjoyed talking to you, both of you and i really Got so many interesting questions. So it was really fun to talk about dogs again. And I'm also looking forward to this conference uh, very soon, by the way. And I hope we have really interested uh, listeners and viewers. So it will be a nice occasion to help also the dogs uh, how they should live with us.
2: Thank you, Adam. Thank Thank you. And so nice to meet you. Holly, I hope you have a good week.
1: Thank Thank you. Thank you very much.
2: More of the same.
1: (laughs) Yep, next week. Same time, same bat channel next week.
2: All right then, guys. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Victoria Stilwell's Positively podcast. For more information, visit Positively.com. Get connected on Facebook and YouTube as Victoria Stillwell or follow her on Twitter at Victoria S. Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps to change dogs' lives positively.